Hey guys, it's Liz. This week, we're going to be bringing you a live panel discussion from Comic Palooza 2019. This is the comic diversity panel that I moderated featuring Chelsea Kane and Leah Mieternik, who are the creators of the Maneaters comic series. We hope you enjoy the discussion with both fans and creators. The audio quality isn't quite up to our normal, but it was recorded with a limited number of microphones. So there you go. To find more about Maneaters, you can check out your local comic book stores, Amazon, and Comixology. You can also find links to purchase Volumes 1 and 2 on our website at nerdybitches.com slash 140. Let's hit that music. Want a chance to support the show? Want to get some awesome rewards and nerdy bitches swag? Then head over to our Patreon account at patreon.com slash nerdy bitches. From not your basic bitch to rock star bitch, we have a monthly plan to fit any budget. Your support allows us to really up our game and make sure the show stays awesome without bowing to corporate sponsorship. In addition to providing prizes, giveaways, and convention coverage, we will also donate 20% of all net profits each month to other independent podcasts. This allows us to help grow other indie shows that we believe in. So hit us up at patreon.com slash nerdy bitches and support your favorite bitches today. So thank you guys for coming today and how close we need to get to these things. Are they on? Yeah, I can hear. Okay, cool. All right, so uh, my name is Liz Sarna, and I am co-host of Nerdy Bitches Podcast, and we want to thank you guys for coming today, Comic Diversity. So we have two awesome comic creators with us. We have Chelsea Kane right here. And Leah, it's Mieternik, yes? Yes, yes. I, I found a YouTube video. She went to abroad in high school, and that's what happened. There you go. So um, they are the creators of Maneater, which is a comic series. You guys want to explain a little bit what it's about? No. Yes. 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 Sure. It, it is a um, comic book series uh, about girls who turn into wear panthers when they get their periods. As we do. Yes. Yeah. So it's not fiction. <laughs> yeah, I really like the, the premise behind it because I, I just started picking it up and reading it. And I love that it's not just a thing, that there's actually a mutation behind it, that it comes from somewhere. There's a lot of science. Yeah. I'm, I'm a fan of the smart comic. I really am. <laughs> so since we're here to talk about comic diversity, I think we're obviously going to be talking about women in comics, as you are. And as <laughs> there's actually like quite a bit more to diversity. Oh, I know. I didn't create the panel. I know, yeah, just, but I so I wanted to note that. Yeah, I, I when that. I when I was doing my research, I was like, hmm, not that diverse. If yeah, you're just, right. but we're gonna. That's I'm just gonna call it women in comics right now because Three white ladies talking about diversity <laughs> in comics. Yeah, good times. Yeah, good times. <laughs> I have opinions. I'll share them. Yeah, that's Can cool. Get the back door, though. Oh, yeah. We probably need to shut that. I don't know what they're doing. Oh, nice. <laughs> so I want to know how you guys got started in the comics industry. Like, what? where did that start and where did it come from? Mine started with Maneaters. Okay. Uh, yeah. And just my association with uh, Chelsea. But, yeah, this is my first comic... The series at all, and uh, yeah, Chelsea sort of introduced 
me to that. So I'm new to the whole business and industry. And All right. Fantastic. So how long has this been out, just before I get back to you? We are, um, issue number eight has come out. Okay. Nine is, is this month. Ah, oh, sweet. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. All right. And Chelsea, you actually are an author as well, yes? I am, yeah. So I've published 12 books, seven of which are New York Times bestsellers. There's a TV show based on one of my books that's out now with Chris Noth, who was like Mr. Big, mm. Mike Logan. He's a nice, a nice fellow. Sure. And um, uh, yeah, like that was airs Wednesdays. Mm-hmm. Um, and I uh, had the opportunity a couple of years ago um, to write um, a comic book series called Mockingbird for Marvel, uh, and I did. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, and it was it, like it was a really great consuming experience that uh, like my takeaway at the end was that comics really needed more comics like it mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because there, there was a, uh, there seemed to be like a real discussion happening about whether it should even exist in the world and mm-hmm. the fact that that discussion was even happening made me feel like I really wanted to do more um, so I came up with the idea of man eaters, um, which was like, you know, like if Mockingbird pissed you off, here's a comic <laughs> with a tampon on it. <laughs> what do you think now? Yeah, I'm a fan of that. And your your superhero you have on your shirt is a tampon woman. Tampon. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she's not the actual star of the comic. No, she's not. But I, I like she's right on the front or like first page, volume one. <laughs> tampon woman here to save the day and bring you tampons. <laughs> Because I will tell you, that is one nice thing about ladies. They will always share a tampon, no matter how expensive they are. So <laughs> they really We've will. We've got some down at our table if anybody needs yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I grabbed a handful of, because um, we signed like, little uh, maxi pads, little panty liners, right? The thinnest pads. And we'll use them as book plates. <laughs> um, and so I grabbed a bunch. Uh, to bring up here and we need to go through security on this floor <laughs> and, you know, where they search your bags and mm-hmm. the woman was like, oh, like somebody's time of month. <laughs> You're like, yo, it's, like, it's a really long day. Heavy right. <laughs> yeah, we, we were talking about it earlier. We're like, you know, if you want to not get at them at the bottom of the bag, maybe just fill the top with tampons. They tend to stop at that point, right? They're right. like, oh, look, I'm good. I'm good. We're done. So, um, what do you think is a common misconception people have about women in the comics industry? Because it's it's a fairly largely predominantly male game, at least what I've seen. So maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> yeah, no, like I I don't know that people do have a misconception. I think most people understand that it is a fairly male game. Mm-hmm. Um, there are very few women who work in comics. There, I mean, there you know the, there are a lot of women who work in comics and a lot of women who want to work in comics Mm -hmm. but the way that system traditionally has exercised itself um, a lot of those women don't really have the opportunity Um, and you know like personally I feel like when you talk about representation and this is just my point of view but talking about representation in comics um, I am far more interested in having um, diverse voices tell a story than I am reading a story about a character that, like, 
somebody who isn't isn't diverse. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, like I think it's not enough to just say, look, there's a comic with a girl on it, or a comic <laughs> about a gay guy. Like, okay, but it's still like you've or your white guys, right? <laughs> who are writing it, which is great. Like, yeah, baby steps, right on, mm -hmm. good. Um, but I, I would much rather see like, yeah, like a woman writing Wolverine, or you know, like like just. I'd love to see, like, yeah, gay guy writing Tony Stark. Like, I think that'd be so interesting. Mm -hmm. I would read that. It'd be so <laughs> cool. So why why do you think that women are not getting these more legendary characters? Or if they are, that they're not necessarily getting the recognition that they may deserve? Um, I think that, uh, and certainly there are women who have, mm -hmm. you know, and, like, respect to them. Um Comics is a really like bonkers industry that is uh, built on the backs of freelancers, and I don't think that really readers, your average reader, truly understands that. Like when you walk into a comic book store and you look at all those comics, even they're like super big ones, right? Those are all made by freelancers. Everybody who works on that comic is a freelancer. There are a few publishing houses, right? DC and Marvel and Dark Horse and Image, and like there are public, say four or five major publishing houses, and then a lot of smaller ones. Um, and those publishing houses might have like five or ten editors, and they kind of like are traffic control. Like they, you know, they um, are involved in the production of that comic, but the people who are actually making it, like the colorist and the letterer and the inker and the and the writer. And the artists, those are, they're all freelancers. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think when you have an economy that is built entirely on the backs of freelance labor, um, it really limits the ability of those people to speak out and be frank um, and complain about anything. Right. Because it's your livelihood. Yeah, you know, there's only like five. <laughs> yeah. Right. So there's not a lot, there's no collective bargaining power, like at all. And I think that um, the industry really has this kind of institutionally a tradition of just like sucking it up and getting it done. Um, and I think until you're able to have conversations, mm -hmm. um, you're not able to have progress. And I also think that like really like any industry, but I would argue comics in particular, you know, it was run by these guys who are like all really, like frankly, funny, smart, progressive guys, and like have written really great comics, right? But like those are the guys, with few exceptions, who ran this industry, and they they find mentees and people who are kind of like them because they're the people they connect with, mm -hmm. and it sort of gets passed down, and it's not a very friendly environment for people who are outside of that. Just the way that lunch tables aren't always friendly, friendly for people who are outside of the lunch table. It's just human nature. But um, at comics, I feel like when they have made an effort, have made missteps more than they have made. Mm -hmm. You know, like really productive steps. Yeah, That's my I think I think you could see that where it's like we're trying so hard, and then you're trying. Too hard in the wrong direction sometimes, so. Yeah, well, I think it comes back to the fact that I really, like, I do really, I really like all the guys who work at Marvel. Like, mm -hmm. I really, like, authentically like them. And they're all, like, you know, they have the best of intentions, right? Like, they've got corporate overlords. <laughs> um, but they have the best of intentions. And I, I think almost, that almost makes it, I think because of that, they're less likely to see some of their missteps. Because they have the best of intentions. Right. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Well, I think what you said at the beginning, too, it is just interesting in that 
it is, it's not so much about the story, it can be about all this diverse material and diverse people, but if it's not coming from those people, right. and, and that, that's just challenging. And, and in this, I know when Chelsea asked me to, to first do it, it was just like, we can have a different perspective and it can come from a different point of view. Mm-hmm. And, and we have um, a female artist and a female colorist and, and to try to kind of accumulate those teams of people um, who can have a different way of t- t- telling the story and even if the story can be whatever it is but, but just coming from that different point of view is, is important and I would try like, to do that. I would like to see more female creators insist on it. Mm-hmm. You know, I really, I really would, because I, I really think that, um, you know, I think that having a female artist draw a script from a female writer, like how, how that, how she's gonna draw it, even if, and like I don't know how familiar you guys are with comic book scripts, but like they're exhaustive, like at least the ones I write. <laughs> um, in terms, of, like, there's so much more than just dialogue. There's a lot of panel description, a lot of art directions, right? So like. You could say, but you know, any any talented artist, right, can can suss out the direction and find a good story, and that's absolutely true. And a really talented like artist, male or female, like they're both going to be completely capable of making that story. Mm-hmm. But it's going to be a different story. Like how we move through the world is based on our experiences, and how we um, just if, if we all walk out of this room and we all talk about it later, we're all like asked. For some reason, we all sit down and journal about this important hour of our lives tonight. <laughs> and you're writing about like how profound like the things that Chelsea said were, like etc. Changed your life. Um, and you want to like make you want to jot down the things that you you know about the room so that you could draw it later when you're doing that part of your journaling. Like, how we remember this room is going to be different. Like all of us as individuals, like we all move through the world differently. And I think that that is so much a part of point of view and so much a part of representation. And um, just as we want, as humans, to see ourselves reflected or our struggles reflected in some way in story, we want to see how we see the world reflected. And comics is unique because it literally can do that. Like there's pictures. <laughs> that shows you, yeah, like how, how that character sees the world, like how that character literally sees the world and I like so many comics traditionally um just the way you know like women don't stand like that Ugh. they don't stand like that ever <laughs> yeah we talk about that on our show a lot is yeah. you know we're a female based podcast and we're like you don't see the butts and the boobs in the face at the same time unless you're dead and like broken right. on the side of the road that's just not a thing and you know and that's just an example of how um you know, like how men would draw a beautiful woman, uh, like it's like a like a sort of cis, like just you know, like a like a totally like you know cis straight guy, like how he's going to draw a woman, what is going to be beautiful to him is going to be sexy to him, which is which carries with it right a lot of like connotations, and that's fine, right? But like it can't be the only way we see women on the page because that starts to also have an impact. Um, like I, you know, I remember reading. Uh, um, alias uh, Brian Michael Bendis's like first Alias run, um, which I love. Like that comic, like changed my life. Like I loved it. And the thing that it changed, like, because and his his artist was male, but his artist worked from photo references of his, of his wife, mm-hmm. like 
just moving, like standing, you know, moving through the world like a person. (laughs) (laughs) And it was so just like revolutionary for me to see like this Jessica Jones who had such a like strong point of view and also stood like a person. Um, You know, like it was so empowering and we, and like it just made me rethink so much and made me want so much more. Mm -hmm. Um, and they, you know, it's a whole male team, you know, that did that comic. Um, I, yeah, like, I, I think about that a lot, and I think, you know, just how we show, how we show people, and that's just the start, because, mm-hmm. like, how we show, you know, rooms and environments, and how we choose the just the story beats that are important. We tell a story from the point of view of a twelve-year-old girl, like she is telling the story, and any story is. Anybody telling a story is an unreliable narrator. Um, we can get into a whole discussion later about canon <laughs> and patriarchy because I've got really strong opinions about that. <laughs> um, and we will. But, and if not here, then... Finding, like, <laughs> finding, like, how do you tell a story? Like, how a 12-year-old girl, like, what's, what's, what's important to her, like, in terms of how she would describe her father? Like, it's going to be different than me as an adult woman describing like how I think a 12 year old girl would describe her father and certainly different than you know anyone else like I, we just really think a lot about that in the production of man eaters well and we have um, 13 14 year old contributors who nice. are a part of that which 13 13 hey, when they 14, started yeah, yes. not, <laughs> 13 14 year old girl too many that would be a lot yeah a lot of a lot of computers. No, but but it is really interesting, and we've we've seen this in almost every issue. Is that um, what they contribute and what they bring to it is not what we would have expected, and not the way that we would see it. Even though it's still in your mind, you think you can think like right. a thirteen-year-old, but it, you're like, I was there, yeah, but it's I, I know what that is. It's been a really long time for yeah. me, anyway. So, <laughs> just, yeah, from a diversity standpoint, in in, in that perspective, it's just you forget how because you think you kind of know right. you forget that your perspective really isn't I love that that you actually do that that you bring in a different point of view and an age appropriate point of view so that's awesome so okay do you guys have any questions so I'm going to just throw up a sound I was going to say I mean, in, in creating and flushing out your character uh, I mean I guess what's the easiest element to start with. I mean, we'll start with the age or, I mean, you know, you're considering the gender, you're considering, is this person cisgender, is this person trans, is this person a person of color, is there, does this person have a disability, or whatever. I mean, yeah, what do you find as far as the elements Do you want to repeat the question for the show, or shall I just answer it? And just you can just answer it. All right. Um, in terms of character creation, there's kind of like two levels. So, like with our main character, um, you know, I really I had to think about like, you know, why why are we telling the story? What does she want? What are what are her secrets? Um, it was important to me that she be an adolescent girl because I really wanted to talk about that experience, which I didn't see it really represented yet, and I wanted to kind of see. I wanted to tell a story that had to do with adolescent girl theory. Um, 
But we, um, because they're furious, <laughs> and they should be, um, but we make a real point, uh, and you know, I as a writer, I, I try to think, I try to catch myself, um, because I am also a product of my experience and environment, and uh, the picture, the, the people that I picture, the people that, uh, that I kind of um, passed, uh, I try to stop myself and I say, okay, what if it were totally different than that? Because, you know, we, we all have assumptions. Um, and, and I do, I really do try to stop and say, like, what if it, like, what, what if it's not the guy that I'm picturing? What if it were somebody completely different? Like, no matter who it is. Um, and then I also communicate a lot with the artists about making sure that, like, when they're actually drawing the physical representation, right? If it's not something that's described or if they have a different idea, um, that they try to show like not only different kinds of people, but different kinds of body types. Um, and we, uh, in our next issue, uh, it, is, it takes place at this um, anti-pantherism recovery clinic for girls. Uh, and it's um, all of these, yeah, like girls and women who, you know, like they're, they're in rehab for their cat behavior. Um, and we have a group therapy circle. And I really wanted to make sure that the people, that, that many people looking at the comic could see themselves in, in that group. Um, so we have that conversation. And you know, we fail a lot, I'm sure, but um, we, we do think about that. I agree, we do think about that. No, I think, and for me, I'm, I'm the graphic designer, and so I'm not the artist, and I'm not the creator and in terms of conceptualizing, but it's, um, in the pieces that I do, again, it's always trying to kind of come from the point of view of, of the character that, who is developed, and then kind of try to see that as within the broader world, and so I think it's, it's one area that we can try to kind of um, bring in some diversity or bring in some kind of real world sort of pieces, but um, in terms of, yeah, character development, that's all just <laughs> okay, great. Who else has a question? Anybody? Yes. So, Speak up pretty loud if you can. So when I was um, I'm writing a story which involves a really Hispanic male who's family is like but I yeah. As I was writing the story, I realized I made more about the father and stuff, and now that I'm a radio more about the mother. My question is, have you ever had that issue where you want to make sure every, like, kind of person is addressed? Um, what, what are you, is it a comic book script or a novel? Or, it's a comic book script. Uh-huh. Um, I, I really think of, um, I, you know, again, I, like, I, I think a lot about point of view. Like, I glance at Liam because I drive her crazy. <laughs> my screeds about point of view. I learned so much about point of view, and it's, it's Which actually is fascinating. Coming from a very fiction writer place, um, the sense that no matter what we're seeing in a story, like with, with Man Eaters, it's all Maud telling a story. So even if we are seeing a conversation that is taking place that she's not involved in, um, it is her version of that conversation, just like, you know, we're all kind of the heroes of our own stories. And how, uh, how you remember, like, the conversation you had with your best friend five years ago, 
where you said the really funny, awesome thing, and that friend was so sorry about saying something stupid. <laughs> like, your friend might remember that completely different. Um, and so, like, that's what I fall back on, is that uh, I, think, I think that you, you can tell a lot of stories about different characters um, and really those stories tell us as much about the characters that you're unpacking um, as they do about the person telling the story. But in the end, it's really about the person telling the story. So you can do both. You can tell both you know, his story and the mom's story and anybody else's story. Uh, it's tough because it's such different advice if you're working on like fiction than if you're working on a comic. Um, I would suggest with a comic that you give us a lot of small moments with the character that you want to unpack. Like a lot of like small moments, like small, slow, repeated beats. Um, because readers can, like comic book readers are really smart. I, you know, like I'm not just pandering when I say that. Comic book <laughs> readers are like a lot smarter than, you know, like even thriller readers. That's a lot. A lot to, it's a lot to take in, yeah. Yeah, like it is. They're really smart, and they'll project a lot of story um, on your character if you give them visual space to do that. So if you just have a character just walking across a frame and picking something up, right? Like that, you know. If you give them, if you give your reader enough time to to project on that character what they know about him, like you can do so much. You can get so much work done narratively. When I. I don't know that this is exactly the same, but I think a lot of the in-world stuff that we do in, in the comic is really um, interesting in that it builds um, it, it builds the environment, it builds that backstory of the character without having to um, maybe introduce all new characters or try to represent every single person. Like you can do a lot of that in other sorts of ways of telling the story, which is to me as somebody new to comics is a really fascinating storytelling method in that it doesn't have to all be in that immediate script. There's a lot of background that you can build through the visuals, too, that um, can complete the story and can complete the world that that person lives in, um, which can also bring in other kinds of characters and other, you know, sort of representation, I think. Are you planning on drawing it as well? Yeah. How long is it? I think it was already 50 pages, yeah. Good, good job. Yeah, no, but, I mean, that's fantastic. And yeah, like comics, I'm drawn to it as a novel writer because um, just the layers, you know, obviously the like, tools that you're able to use are so much so much different and more fun to me than, than fiction. Um, because, you know, like you have your narrator, right? And then you have the actual like dialogue in the scene and then you have like and it can all be different and I and I really like I, I would recommend just like playing with the, the conflict between those like what what is said and what is what is shown um, personally like my favorite comics are the ones that are the least like storyboarded um, if it's just uh, illustrating what is being said um, sometimes those are great but like often the comics I'm really drawn to are the ones that are kind of doing more, where there's a tension between what is being said and what is being shown. It just gives the reader some space to kind of make those connections. Excellent. Any other questions? Yes, ma'am. 
So I remember back in your run of Mockingbird, uh, there was a lot of backlash over a specific cover. Um, and I think that's a really good catalyst for my question of how do we deal with the kind of misogyny that's so deeply ingrained in comic book readers? <laughs> we make more comics. <laughs> you know, like, I don't, you know, I think that, um, I think the vast majority of comic book readers, you know, are great. Um, I think that there are some, yeah, there's a, there is a very small group of, like, real assholes who are all on Twitter. <laughs> and they don't have jobs, apparently. <laughs> um, and they're very loud. Uh, one of the things that I like, when you talk about just the ingrained misogyny in comics, I have, you know, like, gone to a lot of cons, right? Like long before I worked on Mockingbird, like I, you know, like like to go to cons. And I, I, I am pleased to see somewhat, at least the beginning of a shift in terms of, um, like, you know, even just like the, in the last couple of cons I've been to, like there's still, you see like these, you know, these nine-year-old girls who are dressed as Captain Marvel, and it's so great, and then they're, like, walking in front of these booths with, like, like you know, pictures of, like, women getting sexually assaulted or just, like, completely objectified. Um, and I feel like, oh, really, guys? Like, do we have to do that? Is that, is that necessary? But I'm seeing, uh, certainly, that is, like, less the case, right? Because I think... Just, you know, the people selling stuff at conventions have realized there's a much, much wider audience. Um, but, you know, like, like, I think that kind of stuff is so insidious um, because it just sort of teaches us how to be and how, like, how we're seen in the world and who, who this is for and who it isn't for. And it's, you know, it's, it's for everybody. Well, what, one of the things that we've been really impressed with just in, in the few pounds that we've gone to with this series is just the diversity of people who come and appreciate our story, which one from the surface might think would be a very specific you know, female 13-year-old you know, audience, but, um, but it's not at all. And I think that just the idea that generally the people who are reading comics have an open mind to that sort of thing is encouraging. Yeah, the challenge is, is honestly is keeping it out there. Um, because you know, like it's hard. Like you know, like it is, it, it is a kind of lost leader industry. Like it is, it is an industry where you, like, like we don't make money on man eaters. It costs us money personally, the two of us. <laughs> You know, like we, literally. We get that. You know, the Eisner nominated, it sells well. Like it, it's clawing its way up every month, which is incredibly unusual with comics. Um, and yet, like it, it, you know, if you're not selling a hundred thousand com- comics, like or you know, or forty or fifty thousand, it takes forty or fifty thousand just to kind of break even. Um, and that it's very hard to do as an independent voice, as a new voice, as a diverse voice. And I don't know, like, because I think there's so many people who are trying, right? Like, who do create our own comics or just, like, work with small presses and they've got some great story and they're really good, right? But just the nature of the industry is so just eclipsed by, you know, like a, like a, a smaller group of voices. And so, like, those people don't ever get a foothold. Like, they, you know, like, they, they all, you know, you lose $30,000 in a year of your life and then you get a job. Um, 
and you know, like that is probably the biggest challenge, you know, like in terms of finding new voices, is just finding like a space for them to like, you know, eat long enough to live, right? To make more comics. What would you say, or would you have any suggestions for how we can make that happen? Like, how do we get more women, more people of color, more non-gender specific roles? You know, how how do we make it not just the old white dude category? You know, buy their comics. Yeah. Like seriously, like make a make a point, and it's hard, you know, because we're all, we're already breaking barriers because we're going into comic book stores, <laughs> right? And. <laughs> And, like, we're, you know, you're excited about the thing you're excited about. And it's hard to take a risk to go, like, look at some, you know, something that maybe you're like, maybe that's not for me, maybe it is, and it's probably, like, only going to do four issues and then get canceled anyway. Like, right, there's so many reasons to to not take that risk of spending the four bucks. Um, But, boy, you know, like, until we do... Uh, they're just going to fail one after another after another. Yeah, it is interesting if you walk around Artist Alley and um, things. You, I mean, you see a lot of that good content out there. I mean, it's not that it isn't. It just doesn't reach as many people as it needs to be reaching. Mm-hmm. How do you think they can do that? Is it social media? Is it going to publishers? It's... It has to be. Well, it certainly, from our experience, doesn't seem to be with the publishers. Right. Um, because, I, yeah, because it is people taking their own risk in order to put the content out there. So it feels like, I suppose it's social media, I suppose it's just trying to get that word of mouth. And um, But also, you know, the audience, maybe it's reaching new audiences, which is what I think we kind of started out trying to do with this, and that kind of finding a, an audience that we thought might have a hard time going into a comic store, which would be the younger, you know, Mm-hmm. Teenage females, and um, and so, how do you how do you bring people into that world that haven't done that right. before? And and I think that's the only way is to expand the audience and, mm-hmm. and kind of try to get it out of right. the people who are just, just seeing what they think. The catch the catch twenty two is that you know we write a comic for people who love it who don't know it exists. <laughs> and, yep. you know, like, how do we, like, we want to we want to bring them, you know, we love comic book stores, you know, like, mm-hmm. we want to bring people into comic book stores. Like, that is, the comic book stores need that as well. Like, this could mm-hmm. be beautiful for everybody. Um, but how do you reach those people if they're not ever interfacing? Because they're not in the comic book store. They don't see it. Yeah. Uh, and it is, it, it is, a, it is a real pickle because, you have to like you have to survive long enough and invest enough to get volumes out in the world because volumes are the first time that your comic leaves comic book stores and is available in actual in bookstores. So people who don't have a relationship with a comic book store might like be running into it for the very first time. Um, but you've got to survive long enough for those volumes to come out and to like also pick up a little energy in bookstores, right? Because that that's going to take a few months as well. And at that point. You know, you're 40 grand in debt, and it's been a year, and, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I wish I knew the answer. It, it is, uh, and, you know, people say this all the time, but the industry is broken. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what the fix is, nobody knows. I wish uh, somebody could figure it out. I'd be interested in knowing the answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, we, we keep trying, yeah, <laughs> but, yeah, um, I wish there was a simple answer. Mm-hmm. All right. 
Any, yes? With that, the, the industry being broken and things like that, and the start of companies like Comixology, and now by Amazon, does straight out digital comics, Webtoon, and the guys who are here, uh, straight out digital comics, and working with a lot of local artists as well. There's a local writer and artist out of Houston that works with Webtoon, and he's seen some really nice success. At, out of working with that, his first volume of his story, uh, Waking Life, came out on Amazon and was sold out that day. And it, it, was, it was amazing to see. Wait, it's a digital comic. Uh, it, it, he started as a digital But how do you sell out of a digital comic? No, he started as a digital comic and he did, he did like you did, he did a, a volume on Amazon, a physical copy volume, and sold it out that day. So I'm wondering what you think about it companies coming in and doing digital stuff and I guess kind of allowing for that more of like you said for people who can't get to Uh you know like I'm all for alternative means of distri distribution. I think that Diamond has a, a you know huge monopoly on the industry and they're really the only people making money on it. Um, but you know personally like you know we don't make a digital comic. You know, like our comic, I think doesn't it doesn't work. It's not made to be viewed digitally. Like it's really like it's made more than maybe most. <laughs> it's really made to be a physical object. Uh, if 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 I were making a comic that I knew was going to be looked at it on an iPad, it would just be a, it would just be a completely different comic, and I probably wouldn't want to write it. Um, which is not anything against digital comics. It's just like what's interesting to me. Is, is the kind of like interface, the relationship, the interactivity, and the commentary of the like physical object, the common, the sort of social satire of other physical objects that you just like, I wouldn't want to lose that. Um, and you know, there's certainly people who do like also publish comics on Kickstarter, and like people are, they are really trying because it's so hard, <laughs> they're trying to find ways to do it. Uh, but it is like you still have to find a way to tell your reader it's there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like, that is that is what Diamond has, is the distribution to all of the comic book stores. So you can at least, you know, get out to all of them. Otherwise, you can't. Yeah, as somebody who's kind of new to comics in general, like, I've just not been into them in the past... I, I find comic book stores to be overwhelming, right? You walk in and it's just rows and rows and rows of brightly colored pieces of paper in a row. And, the, you know, it's like going to the old record store, right? You have to, you know, sort through and find what you're looking for, but how do you know it's there? And it is exactly what you're looking for, but you didn't know it's there and it's not Wolverine and it's not Superman and it, you know, it's further back or it's something different. So there's, and there's some amazing comic book stores. Like, I, and I think this is really important because I think that, yeah, that that is the traditional comic book store. Mm -hmm. um, one where everything is bagged and boarded, bagged and boarded. So you can't even like open it right. you know, to even see if maybe you'd like it. Like, uh, and it, like there's a store books with pictures in Portland, Oregon, where we live. Uh, that is um, like their mission is is like a fa feminist like pro diversity comic book store, and this is like this is steady yourselves, you guys. <laughs> they have chairs. What? Like, no, just take a minute and think back. Like, think: Have you ever been in a comic book store with like a couch, beanbags, 
They have chairs. They have like, comfortable seating where they encourage people to sit and read comics. So like, I know, I know. Hold on. Like, nothing is in bags. You walk in. You can pick up anything. And you can sit. You know, you can sit and you can read. You can stay, like, for the afternoon. And you can page through their comics. And then, you know, because that is how you find comics that you love. That is how you develop a relationship with comics. And then, you know, they make the, you make a customer for life when you do that. So I think some of that is maybe just a model shift in mm-hmm. how, you know, how comic book stores think about their business. And, it, you know, it's not just all, it's not just all collectors. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, I, I read comics to read comics. Like, my husband reads a comic and then puts it in a bag and boards it and, like, puts it in, like, and it's all alphabetized. And, and it kills him when I just read a comic and, like, toss it on the bedside table. <laughs> like, he's just physically, like, oh. Yeah. Like, he tra- just, like, oh. Don't yeah. your water. No. <laughs> um, Definitely don't put it on the, yeah. Yeah. But I'll read that comic over and over again, and it looks super loved. <laughs> and I feel like I really got my four bucks worth. Yeah. And you know what? Like, all those comics that my husband has in our basement, they're just worth, they're still worth, like, four bucks. <laughs> right. <laughs> still just a comic book. Yeah. But it's, I think it's one of those things that there may have been a shift from this is for kids and, you know, they're available on the shelf in the drugstore or whatever, and you pick it up to this collector mindset right. where everything is... Right. And it hasn't shifted, it hasn't really shifted yeah. back. And you, because, because it's, like, comics used to be distributed, like, at, at gas stations and grocery mm-hmm. stores, right? There was a little whack that went yep. around in a circle, and if you had an uncle, you could get a comic. <laughs> um, and that is not true anymore, and the collector model is what, like, you know, was the, with the boom to the industry. Mm-hmm. But it really does preclude welcoming in new readers if mm-hmm. everything is sealed. Yeah. I think that's hard to, again, to pick up a new character or something else mm-hmm. if you've never, you don't have access to it. No representation, no sight. And yeah. You had a question? Do you have a good solution or recommendation for a single boost you can do in library? I'm a librarian. <laughs> <laughs> do you have a good way for librarians to kind of help signal this? For instance, I work with a lot of young adults. Uh, a lot of girls come in and they voraciously read every graphic novel we have. Mm-hmm. I'm running out of ideas and they've read like everything I have. Um, and so I'm trying to find ways to get them into other comics, but realistically, as a library, we can't collect comics because it's, they're so small, they will get destroyed by within one or two readings. They often just can't make it through uh, a life cycle that we need them to, to be viable to pay for. So we circulate lots of volumes that you're talking about, and that's the difficulty is getting to that point. Would it be be better to just jump to a volume? Is that even possible? Or is there some way that we can help get those into their hands so that they can see themselves in this medium? You know, like, it's not a bad idea, you know, like, it's not a bad idea just to, like, cut out the floppies, you know? Like, we, we've talked about this, just going to, like, quarterly volumes. Um, except, you know, like, then you also cut out the comic book stores. Like, it, it's really, it's very difficult. Um, but floppies, like, certainly, like, that is where we lose money. Um, so, you know, like, yeah, we were talking about that. Like, if there's a way to just, just go to volumes. Um, I want, like, what if you had comics like you have uh, magazines? 
we have a few magazines, but they don't get much use. Um, a lot of our adult magazines and things like that, they have like boards and all that. So, <laughs> I was like, wow. It's like a progressive library. But they don't get as much use. But um, we do have some teen magazines, but that's not what they're going for. They're consuming 20 manga at a time. Right. They're checking out everything by Mariko Tamaki at the same time. I mean, and, and that's what they're that path here. Um, and so that is less of the sort of monthly publication and more of the I want you know the binging aspect. Yeah. I want to be able to binge everything they have. Uh, and so that, that sort of monthly comic, that's not doing it for them, and so they, they're used to those volumes. Yeah. I'm wondering if there's a way to either bring that into the library somehow. Maybe it's just volumes, I don't know. I was wondering. Yeah, I, like, we went to ALA this year, um, the midwinter, the Winter Institute or whatever. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and uh, we actually went to an event that they invited uh, like all of these librarians in, um, and five comic book publishers to like to have that conversation. Um, comic book publishers are for that really the first time at least in a generation <laughs> like understanding that libraries you know like serve an incredibly important role and that they have really kind of ignored that relationship. Um, so that, like for what it's worth they're, they've, they're starting to have meetings. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you know like and they, they talked about like uh, maybe trying to send out uh, by you know send out like have us pay for right. Right. Uh, to, to, go, to go to libraries and actually like do little, like sort of little mini cons or workshops or um, to develop relationships uh, in that sense. Um, but you like you know it would be so great it would be so great if they just did library editions. Yeah, that's, that's what it seems like. It's almost a different because. Right, you don't, you can't cut up the issues, or, or that would cut up the whole comic industry piece of it. And a lot of, you know, we build issues so you can that have a trade, right? So, so there's a reason that you're you're doing that. But um, yeah, it would seem like there should just be a collection of even maybe all similar things or something that volumes of a collective different artists that are all in the same genre or something that could be more of a library edition. It's you know it's also still it's still diamond yeah. distributing <laughs> the trades and so like you know like from their model isn't it well served right like they're also trying to like take care of their own goals financially um, yeah so like you know in a perfect world there would be a different distribution center like that would dis distribute like just to libraries you know that would be like kind of almost an independent distribution model. Um, There's your side hustle. <laughs> you can start a library side hustle right there. <laughs> yeah, like side hustle just as the name. Yeah, yeah there you company. go, right there. <laughs> Trademark. Side hustle. So do we have any other questions? I think we're getting close to wrapping up. Okay, if you guys had one question that you get asked all the time, and you never ever wanted to be asked it again, how, what would it be and how would you answer it? So this is it. It would be that question. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Done. <laughs> the question that never ends right there. It is, it is, because it's like, if I've never been asked it, and I've, I certainly have been asked the question, what question haven't you ever been asked? Mm -hmm. What is it? Like, what would it be? 
Yeah. It's like sort of a Zen Cohen. Just puzzle that. Hmm. <laughs> this is my um, second of these ever. So mm-hmm. I, there, are, there are a number of questions that I've never been asked. What would you like to be? What question? Would you I, like to be I don't know. No, like that. And that's the first time I've had to even ponder it. So hmm? <laughs> you'll, well, next time you'll be like, right yeah, on. I, know. I really yeah. like that question. Like, like I, like, I like the how do we help you sell comics mm-hmm. question. Like, yeah, how, that's awesome. Get, like that is a great question. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Yeah. I'll write that one down for the next one. Yeah, absolutely. So, so any more questions? Last call. Yes. I, mean, I was going to say, in certain environments, you see more often than others. Uh, I guess if you were going to find a character or find, you know, when you start out with your own character, you know, as far as you find yourself putting them in like urban cities or or like in the US or in Western Europe as opposed to like countries in Africa or the Middle East or whatever. I you know like personally like all of my books take place in Portland. Like my like my novels. Um, they, people might stray once in a while because they're serial killers and that happens everywhere. They're mostly in Portland, Oregon, according to my books. <laughs> very dangerous there. Um, and that's because, you know, like, I know it. Like, I can bring some authority and truth to that story. And, I, you know, I think that representation and diversity is also about representing yourself and telling, like, the more specific story you can tell, the more universal it is, even if it seems like the opposite should be true. Like, you know, tell your specific story and, um, you know, rather than uh, attempting to tell somebody else's story, like, help that person tell their story. You know, make sure that person is included in in your book in some way, but don't feel like you have to tell the story you don't feel like you have to tell somebody else's story, um, but tell your own. You know, you have an amazing story. And, you know, like, I think, I think, if, yeah. Go ahead, Lee's gonna say something so smart right, right now. No, no, I just think it, it is that authenticity piece, right? Like, I think we can only tell our own story. I, I don't, I don't, I think it, Well, I don't know that's true. <laughs> You've been proven false. Well, I think, I guess from the perspective, we can only tell it from our own perspective, right? So. Whatever story we tell, it has to be authentic in that way. Um, and so, yeah, to, to base what we're doing in Portland, again, because we're from Portland, like that, that sort of makes sense just because that is our perspective. And, we're, you know, we're writing a series about girls who turn into panthers. Yes. We're already, like, you know, like taking a bit of an allegorical leap. <laughs> and so uh, I think the more fantastic a narrative is, like personally, the more important it is to ground it, like just from my like my narrative point of view, like to ground it in some reality so that it, it feels at least a little real. It's one of the reasons in Man Eaters we have all of the kind of real world ads and uh, you know, like stock photography and this kind of like layer that reminds you of the real world and of the self-consciousness of story and of the myth. Um, so, like, that, that is a very complicated question, but, I, like, I would have felt uncomfortable setting man-eaters, you know, in, in a village in Africa, um, just because I feel like I, I couldn't, I would do a disservice to that experience, 
Um, but I want to make sure that in the Manuverse universe, that village of, in Africa exists, if that makes sense. Even like in Port Morgan, that's the same. When you're looking at your characters, it's like, okay, well, I'm putting this person in a, let's say, a middle-income neighborhood, and maybe the kids go to private, you go to public school versus, okay, uh, this is a very poor neighborhood that has a lot of gangs in it. I mean, just even as, you know, as a local setting, it's like, okay, well, you know, this neighborhood is moderately impoverished. It's, it's like you. I think that's a, it's that's a, that is maybe another conversation to have at a different time. But I think that you're confusing like setting with character, and uh, like if a character like grows up in like a. Uh, like a middle class neighborhood or in a like a an area you know that is you know much more dangerous and impoverished those are different characters so you're talking about it's like you're not just deciding like visually where to put them like you're changing the whole character and so like yeah if it makes sense for that if that character you know like it, it just be true to that character to who that person is be reasonable to like how they got to where they are that's all and don't overthink it don't paralyze yourself because it, it can get pretty paralyzing, I know. Just the best you can. Okay, thanks, everybody. Well, thank you guys so much. Let them know where they can find you and where they can find man-eaters. 39, 38, 38, 39. Uh, Artist Alley, we're there. We're going to do, be doing a signing from 5 to 6. And uh, yeah, man-eaters is in comic book stores and in some libraries. Volume 1 is out. Volume 2 comes out in June. June. There you go. Thank you guys so much. Thank you, everybody. Hey guys, we really hope you enjoyed the panel interview from Comic Palooza back in May. We had such a great time. We've really gotten to enjoy getting to know uh, Chelsea and Leah and knowing more about Maneaters. It's such a fantastic comic. I highly, highly, highly recommend it. We also want to remind you guys that if you love listening to podcasts and you want to get paid for it, all you have to do is go sign up using the PodCoin app. Now, this app is amazing because they will pay you for doing what you already love, which is listening to us. All you have to do when you sign up is go and put in our code NERDY, N-E-R-D-Y, and you will get 300 free coins to start with. And that's totally amazing. So we hope you get your PodCoin on. Thanks for listening. And we'll be back with you guys next week. Music provided by www.bensound.com and please email feedback to contact us at nerdybitches.com. <laughs>